Hello, and welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about The Watchmen, the TV show. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games and movies and TV and comic books. And over the last three weeks, we have hit every piece, like major piece, of The Watchmen world. Uh, starting with the comic, then hitting the 2009 movie from 10 years ago, and then hitting the 2019 show that just finished its premiere season last night. Uh, it was nine episodes total, um, and headed by a guy named Damon Lindelof, who is, uh, he's actually a pretty well-known comics writer, but he's also, but the thing he's most well-known for is, uh, Lost and the HBO series, uh, The Leftovers. Um, so yeah, so that concluded. We got our final bit of 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 the show, and uh, I guess it's time to do takes on initial the hot impressions issue. Yeah, I mean, uh, boy, what's my initial impression? I like it's tough because I really recommended Watchmen because I was really sucked into it, but uh, it definitely kind of lost me in the last couple of episodes. I think Watchmen is sort of fine. Um, but it whiffs on the greatness that I was excited for it to achieve. Um, if you heard me on the podcast a couple of episodes ago, right, I was really encouraging people to like go watch because I thought that this was like something really great. But you know, turns out the guy who wrote Lost is good at setup and not good at payoff. I guess like, I got to really know how else to put that. Um, <laughs> but um, but that's my initial spoilerless impression on the first season as a whole. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, uh, I've got a slightly different Kent. Um, uh, spoilerously, I think the series kind of taken on its own is good. Um, I think I agree with you kind of verges on greatness, but maybe misses the mark, but kind of as a sequel to the Watchmen, I think it it's bad. Like, and I mean that purely in the sense that like, kind of contradicts a lot of the themes of the original Watchmen in a way that I think, like, if I were Alan Moore, I think I'd be insulted by the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think in some ways it even tries to reach back and, like, invalidate the the uh, the, the comic. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that much later, but, like, I was I was not a fan of some of the themes and some of the kind of, uh, and some of the kind of, takeaways in, in some way from the series um uh and if we get another season i think it's just gonna get worse but we'll get into that past the spoiler warning yeah um, i mean initially i had really uh i was i was sort of on board and i do think that it, it does i think it does some good and it does some bad when it comes to that sort of stuff um but uh but yeah i definitely i definitely feel where you're where you're coming from in that like it doesn't feel true to the comic in a lot of ways yeah. Um, and like, this wouldn't bother me in other, you know what I mean? Like, so, so for instance, um, long, long running serials can have like different interpretations, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Like th- this is sort of, this is sort of why, uh, like a Nolan Batman and a Tim Burton Batman can kind of like coexist, even though they're pretty radically different takes, right? Like those two don't need to be congruent because Batman is kind of like a larger cultural identity or like King Arthur, for instance, right. or like Robin. Yeah, right? he's an icon. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, and there is that potential, I guess, in, like, Watchmen. I don't know how you transition. Like, at some point, I feel like there's got to be some weird transition that happens where you kind of, like, get into that icon status and I can kind of pull them apart. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where, like, this is, like, the same continuity. And I'm told, and you, like, and you are kind of, like, being told that, like... <sighs> you have to kind of take its word for it in a way. And it just doesn't feel, it just doesn't yeah, feel real. No, it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough. I, I think it's part of it is that like, it is one solid storyline um, in like in its original form. It's not like, you know, mm-hmm. we had the adventures of the Watchmen going on long and like the Watchmen comic was like a, was like a, a, a kind of culmination of that. Um, it's it's its own thing, and so I think anything anything that tries to be a sequel, I, so I think that there are some pitfalls um, that you're going to have with anything that sequels the Watchmen. Um, notably, that you have to kind of validate someone, um, and usually that's going to be Rorschach, uh, just because of the you know the way the drama has to work. Oh my god, yeah, um, and yeah, I think- that is absolutely like a true problem, right? Because in so so much of how Watchmen works is like the precarity of the ending, right? Yeah. That there is no there's no right or wrong. There's just kind of like a lot of different countervailing paradoxes in a way, and you have to sort of like you there's and you have to sort of like live in an unstable world with the ambiguity of the ending, um, and uh, and you immediately lose that no matter what as soon as you kind of expand yeah. the mythos after uh the end of the series yeah. and, and part of part of the problem there is that if you're going to have a world with any drama in it you can't like say let adrian have been right right like you can't have mm-hmm. world peace because that's boring right like you you almost i it'd be very hard to make a comic that doesn't validate rorschach at least in some way um and i actually think this series uh, we're gonna get into spoiler territory, so I, I want to hold off on it. But I, I think that that this just to, suffice to say, I think this the series doesn't dodge that problem in a way that I, we might disagree about. But uh, uh, I do want to get into some of this stuff. So do we want to put the spoiler warning here? Or did you have anything else you want to say before we get into spoiler territory? No, no, no. Let's uh, let's take it. Let's 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 go for it. Okay. So uh, just kind of to, to see if we're on the same page. Which character in the series do you think most uh, embodies? Let's say Rorschach's uh, Rorschach's ethics. Oh boy, that's a tough question. Well, so okay, so like the clear analog, I feel like there's a lot of these, right? Um, in that they've kind of like jumped certain characters to other characters in sure. a way, like sort of transmuted them in a way. Um, and Looking Glass is the most Rorschach character in like, the present tense of the show, right? In the way that Lady True is the most Ozymandias character, for instance. Um, Interesting. Or Lori Blake is herself, because she just kind of continues forward into the future. The uh, the obvious other one would be uh, Angela and Hooded Justice, right? But, like, yeah. th- but that's obviously, like, also fraught and interesting because you don't have a good sense of who Hooded Justice is until the show tells you. But anyway, um, so like, so Looking Glass is kind of the like modern Rorschach in the in the vein of the story, right? Um, 
from his vague right-wingness to his look to his kind of like affect or whatever but he is he has played with much more sympathetically than like Rorschach ever was right and Rorschach himself is denigrated in the show because of uh, the seventh cavalry, se- yeah, because of the seventh cavalry and Senator Keen, right? And this is something, by the way, that I think is great and smart that the show does, which is basically lambast Rorschach's hard right politics for kind of what they are, and this is the culmination of them. Like that feels very sort of like true to form in a way, but like they're also not like. So the, they're, the, they're kind of like a perversion of it in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like Rorschach would look at Senator Keene and not see himself, even though I think that that is the – it's kind of like the ultimate end goal of where he was going. Does that make sense? So I I see what you're saying, but I, I have to say I don't agree. Um, I have to say that like – so I think the clearest analog for Rorschach's ethics is Angela. Right, like she's she has a line very early on in the series where she basically says things are black and white, right? Like in language that I think was supposed to pull from Rorschach. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the problems I think I have with this series, on kind of like a, on like a in, in respect in, in kind of like looking backwards at the comics type series, is I think like the way it feels to me is that the lesson of the series is Rorschach was like if Rorschach hated gay people less, he would have been right, right? Like 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 that was. <laughs> Oh my god! I mean, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's like, like Angela has all of Rorschach's kind of like, uh, you know, demeanor. Demeanor's a little bit Whoa. strong. See, demeanor's that, strong. Okay. Yeah, uh, you you very much lose me in the connection between Angela and Rorschach in like material terms because she's like, you know, like she. She's a wife. She's a wife. And she has a kid. And she has kids. You know what I mean? Like she has a family that she's deeply connected to. Right. Part of what makes Rorschach and Looking Glass sort of the mirror. Huh, get it? Mirror. Rorschach and Looking Looking Glass like the mirror characters between one another is like Looking Glass talks about not having any friends. You know what I mean? And how isolated he sort of he sort of feels. Um, and that's what I think. That's that's the kind of the connection between the two of them. Yep, I mean, I think there's there's a larger part of point about this, which I thought I thought was interesting, which is kind of like the masked police as kind of like the worst of both worlds, right? Like mm-hmm. masked vigilantes and and kind of like uh, you know badged authority. You know, the the quote line from the um, comic, or at least the movie, I forget if it's in the in the comic, is like badges, not masks. And and you know, it's like, hey, what about badges and masks? And you know, the, yeah. the show very. <laughs> Very clearly goes out of its way to show you why that's a bad idea, which I appreciated. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I think, honestly, some of the confusion around some of this stuff is just because of how botched the ending was, I felt. Um, uh, it kind of got into shaky ground with the introduction of, like, the Dr. Manhattan stuff in Episode 7 and then Episode 8. Um, kind of just, like, yeah. started the, the downturn into Episode 9, which just honestly did not resolve in a way that I felt was sort of satisfactory. And I felt like there were a lot of, like obvious errors um in way like so for instance the big one about rorschach is that at the very end Lori decides to bring like she's gonna bring vite to justice or whatever and they like knock him out or whatever and there is absolutely zero drama or motivation 
to that decision that she comes to, right? And he lampshades it. Like, they lampshade it in the writing where he's like, you kept the secret for all these years, and now, you know, like, you're changing your mind? She's like, yep, I'm changing my mind. But they don't actually provide a reason for why she is changing her mind. But the thing is, is that, like, the answer is right it's five feet away it's looking glass this is the guy who is the personification right of all of the pain and anguish that adrian caused right not not the three million statistic right but the human individualized cost of the terrible terrible thing that he did and that she is complicit in covering up right and so it's like all you need to do is just make it that right you just it's it's not lori it's looking glass who is dedicated to bringing Vite to justice and i think that that would have been right like i think that that would have been like real and satisfying and also a completion to sort of his echoes of, of Rorschach. rorschachness yeah exactly yeah. right like he would finally be able to sort of like bring the the justice um because he he had a real sort of stake in its pain if that makes sense. Um, and I just think they fucked it up. They just, they completely, it came out of nowhere. I literally laughed. I was like, what? Why is she doing this? This is the most unmotivated thing I've seen in, you know, like, in the whole show. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, that's kind of, uh, okay, that's actually not true. There, there's a much more unmotivated thing that also really bothered me. <laughs> well, is, is this the Manhattan? I have a, Yeah, I, this, is the, this is the Dr. Manhattan stuff. I think this is the crux of the show's real failure is everything surrounding Dr. Manhattan. Um, I agree. I think it is a, like, it's like a clever reveal on paper that someone should have just slapped the writers and just been like, guys, no, we can't. This is This is ridiculous we're not doing this because that eighth episode as like you know like as touching and as moving as it would otherwise be if i wasn't in this context right if it was about doctor you know whatever doctor atomic bomb guy and wasn't connected to the watchman universe i think it would be fine and i would be yeah like no, everything about the, the the drama and the storytelling about it was was okay except for the fact that this is dr manhattan and he has the he has like all of this baggage that comes from the comic that was as far as i can tell ignored missed misunderstood i just have like i just have no idea and like i think the time travel stuff is kind of like cute but i think it's ultimately really shallow and um, uh, i also think it's bad yeah, like, and, like, completely uninteresting, right? Like, I've heard a lot of people sort of praising it um, as being, like, oh, like, this is so deep. But it's kind of, like, deep in the way that, like, the Rick and Morty copypasta thinks Rick and Morty is deep. You know what yeah. I mean? That, like, just because, like, Rick and Morty is, like, making vague allusions to string theory, it's saying something, like, meaningful and profound. It's, it's not. And neither is Dr. Manhattan. And that's – and, like, and honestly, like – I don't know. I think that just, like, sort of, like, removes the sheen off of the whole thing. Plus, he also just looks terrible in that blue paint. Yeah. Um, so, so honestly, my single biggest problem with – like, I, I agree with you entirely, right? Like, Dr. Manhattan suddenly having emotions is just, like, kind of antithetical to his character. But I think the actually the worst moment – and this is why I think that if this show continues on, it's just going to get worse – is um, basically – so. Uh, just to kind of set this up a little bit. The lesson of the original Watchmen in many ways is that, like, 
is about like kind of like the inherent fascism of of vigilantism and superheroes, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and this show wants to posit that no, actually, superheroes are are really good, and you know, it just needs to go to the right person, which is weird because it does look like so. It has this message that anybody that wants power should be denied it, right? And I think that's perfectly in, in tune with. Um, with with kind of the, the 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 themes of the original comic, but this yeah. last minute implication where like, you know, no Angela can have Doctor Manhattan's powers because she's good, is like I just think like so stupendously terrible. Um, and combined with this, with the like one of the last things that um that uh that Hood Justice says is that he was a good man, but he didn't do enough with his powers, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the implication there is like, you know, you give the, you you give the powers to Angela, and then she'll do good things with them, and everything will be great. And uh, I know obviously there's going to be some drama with this, but if it happen if it happens, but I feel like you know, this like next season is like you know like turns this into instead of a Doctor Manhattan story into a, like a Superman story, right? Like, um, you know, obviously through through the the lens of Angela, who is different than than Clark Kent, but. Um, I think that that's just like an incredible betrayal of what the original comic is. I completely agree with you. I thought she was going to smash the egg uh, at the very end of the show. Um, And I was actually excited for that. In the midst of all of this other stuff that I was really pissed about, right? Like stuff with fight, you know, like the stuff with looking glass or whatever. um, Just kind of the hollowness of, uh, of how some of this stuff sort of ended up playing out. I thought, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be it, right? Like Angela's going to see the egg, realize what it is right and she's gonna break it because at the end of the day right like the thing that she is learning is about the nature of power like itself um and since she didn't and it made the whole thing about like oh did she actually get the powers or whatever which i'm just like man like (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It's really frustrating. I actually don't mind a lot of the reconstructive stuff that happens in the show compared to the book. Because I think that stuff is, like, interesting and sort of, like, neat, right? Um, It's like the – it's – it's it's it feels true to form and almost sort of like a like a like a call and response or like a dialogue in a certain sense right like the comic is saying no superheroes are just vehicles for egotistical assholes right and the show is saying oh no there's actually more to it than that right like there is such thing as justice and altruism right um and you can find that under a, under a mask uh, which is part of what like the hooded justice stuff is all about Right, like Hooded Justice is reacting to a very real and pervasive injustice in his life, and he is trying to solve that problem. Right, um, and I think that that stuff is like cool, right? But it just, I like, I, I just don't know where else it goes with some of the. And by the way, the Looking Glass is the is is the other action of this, right? Like Looking Glass is kind of reconstructed Rorschach. Where, like, where Rorschach, where if you have Rorschach, but give him some real sort of, like, empathy for the people around him, even if he, he doesn't have the same kind of emotional connections because of, like, trauma and damage and whatever else, right? Like, he is still a good person, right? Like, Looking Glass is still a good person, whereas I do not think Rorschach is a very good person. Um, and, and I appreciate that stuff about the show, uh, but, yeah, boy, some of this woof just really, really... Uh really wrong-headed i feel like also with lady true um it's funny because like we talked about in the preamble 
the nature of having to come down on one side or another, right? Like, you have yeah. to break the ambiguity of the ending, right? The ending of the TV show's first season comes down much heavier on Rorschach's side than oh, Ozymandias' yeah. side, right? Like, Ozymandias is rebuffed twice, right? In kind of quick succession because his daughter is this, like, megalomaniac crazy person who needs to be stopped. And also he needs to be stopped. And I was expecting that not to quite go that way because I felt like they were setting up uh, Vite to be sort of uh, humbled in a way. Right? Like, by seeing the reflection of himself, by, by being able to see himself through the lens of his daughter, he could kind of get over his own narcissistic tendency and be like, oh, my God, what I did was monstrous, right? And he can sort of see the lives that he cost. And they and he, there, it seems like that characterization is hinted to throughout the course of the episode, right? Like when he says, it takes one to know one, or like when he when he does the thing on Europa where he says, save me daughter, right? Like he admits defeat in that moment because he needs help getting off of, getting off of Europa. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is like interesting, right? Like, and now you kind of set up a world where looking glass is going to hold him to account. And he is going to say, you know what? You're right. I really do need to repent in some sort of way. And like, maybe he goes to fucking, prison or whatever like whatever that sort of like looks like right but no they don't they don't do that he's just the same egotistical piece of shit forever so in a certain sense ozymandias's future translated character in lady true is the ultimate villain of the whole series where rorschach's gets to be one of the good guys yeah no i i i i would argue like like just to return back to the earlier point i don't think that angela is personally like Rorschach. I think you're right about that, that 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 looking glass fills that role. But she is ethically like Rorschach. Um and I think that this this the series kind of like cements cements that, right? Like like or, or tries to, to, to cement the Rorschach point of view. Um I don't think that's to be honest with you, I just don't think that that's super true. Um like what about Angela is like super Rorschachy? I mean at at one point she like flat out says it, right? Like, you know, the world's black and white Right, and there's like good and evil. Um, this is very early on in the series. I think this this th- that episode came out before we even started talking about it. But it just struck me because it kind of like very much mirrored the language. She's talking to to Topher about it. Um, uh, uh, but I also think that like she takes, v- <sighs> like I think that like the actual ethics of the show aren't super strong in any regards. Right, like so I'm mm-hmm. kind of taking her at face. Right, like I don't think any of the characters are super in tune with, an, with, with anything that could be commented on as like as an ethic yeah like because um, my thing my thing is i angela is the hooded justice reincarnate but the thing but like the clever thing about that is you don't have you don't know that until the hooded justice reveal in episode six right because he was you know a pretty minor character in the comic book with not a lot of information sort of like fleshed out about him but like he becomes the avatar in the future of the sort of like racial injustice embodied by the original, right? Like hooded, hooded justice in uh, Tulsa. And I just feel like that's like too strong to like, that just overpowers the Rorschach connection, I guess I would say. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it, it's like, I, I mean, if you, if, I, I think you could make the case that Hooded Justice in this series is very Rorschach-like 
in his own way, right? And, like, in a way that, like, in the same way that, like, Rorschach is is fairly sympathetic in the comic because he we only ever see him, like, beating up people who deserve it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Hooded Justice is kind of that taken to the to, to the extreme, right? Like, you know, it's very hard to have anything resembling a sympathetic white supremacist, right? So, like, yeah. it's not like, like, like... They, I think they do play like I think they they try and acknowledge this right like this is why his marriage falls apart is because he's mm. he's he's motivated by anger right and I think this is this kind of helps me get past some of the bigger problems I have with the series and that I think they do try and portray Hooded Justice as, as a flawed man in a lot of ways yeah. right like and, and he's driven by his anger and I think that's like a that's a similar motivating animus that that Rorschach had right like um, obviously they come from very different places and you can you can very easily make the case that that Hooded Justice's rage is more is more justified than than Rorschach's um but uh I I I think that they at least share kinship and like you know kind of punish those that are that that deserve it it just I think the show like like I like I said before right the show wants you to to, I see what you're saying they're kind of united in yeah they're kind of like united in like tactics and strategy but like they're directed at the different targets right like Rorschach is really sort of like he just hates people, right? You know, the the in the in the comic, the motivating thing is the Kitty Genovese murder or whatever, which didn't even happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like he talks about how she got killed and people just like watched or whatever, and that's like the animating force sort of like behind his uh b- behind his like crusade or whatever. And I don't think that that shares a lot in common with, you know, being the victim of racial violence uh but i do think i get i see what you're saying right like in the for instance in the way that angela um in the way that angela shows up to nixonville and grabs people before she gets the order from her boss to do so like that's pretty rorschach in a way right yeah or like or in the you know in the 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 hood of justice episode the moment where he just pulls out his gun and he shoots fred in the head and he murders all of the white supremacist cops in the factory and sets it on fire that's like basically a recreation of rorschach killing the rapist yeah in yeah with the like with the uh with the cleaver or whatever i mean there's no dogs right like there's none of that like you know real blackness obviously these guys really deserve it and it's kind of like more fitting in a way but i but i see your point um whereas like kind of the ethics of like lady true is obviously much more aligned with sort of like how ozymandias uh made his you know like made his sort of plans yeah it's it's utilitarian it's like a a hyper narcissistic utilitarianism right like like, Azumandias was always there, but, like, he at least, you know, in the comic, at least, he's like, I made myself live all those three, uh, mm-hmm. three, three, three trillion, uh, three billion, rather, or million, how many, it was three million, million, million three, three million, million lives. yeah, I made myself live all those three million lives, and, you know, you could, you could take him at his word or not, but, like, you know, you don't get the sense that Lady True even has that amount of compassion, right, like, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's, 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 um, so, so yeah, I, I think that dynamic plays out again. And I think you know, like like I said, it, it, it's really hard to to kind of make a show that doesn't involve uh, like coming down on on one side or the other, and it's very hard to come down on Adrian's side just because because it's like kind of monstrous on face. Um, yeah, um, yeah. 
but I, I, I do, I don't want to trash on, on the series the whole time. Because I do think, like, I thought episode six, even though, like, I personally don't like retcons, um, but I thought the episode was beautifully well done. Like, honestly, I wish this series wasn't a Watchmen series, right? Like, and maybe I can make myself enjoy it by, like, pretending it's not, like, it's like a piece of fan fiction, which I guess it mm-hmm. is in some ways, but, like, you know. But, like, it's not tied to, you know, like, it is a similar world or whatever, but, like, all of the characters are, like, name shifted. I get that. I mean, that's obviously how Watchmen came about, yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I really, the, the Hooded Justice retcon, um, I thought was a pretty fair one, just because, like, First of all, it slots in neatly enough. Sure. Um, in it, like I was at first, I was like, uh, "Hooded Justice was gay, you guys. Like, how do you? How are we gonna square the fact that like he was totally like fucking Captain Metropolis? But then like ten minutes later, he's fucking Captain Metropolis. I'm like, oh, oh all right, I, okay, I guess this is I mean, you know this the, the part they out. didn't address, or they might have kind of. It's like, didn't he endorse the Third Reich in the comics? Yeah, so, yeah, in the comics, he talks, uh, uh, he's, he says favorable things about Hitler's Third Reich before the, the Second World War. Um, yeah. I which, mean, I, well, so, okay, so I do think that there is a real thing there, which is... Is that the um, German propaganda thing? Cause it's I the thought, German propaganda thing, yeah, yeah. I think that that, I think that that is the, the nod to it. I thought that that was, uh, I thought that that was clever. Yeah, I mean, I also kind of don't think that any of that was like 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 the thing that bothered me about that was like it like that felt like at odds with like what the actual history of germany was but you know that's that's like a nitpicky thing that i can throw aside just kind of like i was like really um, yeah i mean i you know I, I i agree with you uh but it is what it is yeah no yeah absolutely um <sighs> what else do we want to talk about with this um i mean i i also sort of uh uh, how did you feel about like the various reveals, like the mysteries of the show, right? Like at first, I was intrigued by them, but then I was just exhausted by them. Um, like you know, for instance, Hooded Justice getting picked up in the car, um, or like where Adrian was. Yeah, um, I thought like uh, at first those mysteries I felt to be like really intriguing, but like. Then they kind of got really tedious, and I felt like the answers were just like really fucking stupid. I, like I didn't have the uh, here's here's the thing here's like the cardinal rule of plot twists or whatever like these kinds of reveals. You need to give people enough information in, that they could look back and sort of like figure it out on their own. And they do this in some places, uh, like for instance, that Cal is Doctor Manhattan makes a certain amount of sense because you know like how else does Angela survive the White Knight? Um, but uh, the like the re- the the reveal about him getting like picked up by like the fucking spaceship thing or whatever, I was like, oh, give me a fucking break, you know what I mean? It was just like such a lame yeah. like it. It's like it just feels like somebody is like I don't know. I I can't think of a good I can't think of a good way to explain why this for us it's okay it's like imagine okay so imagine i'm putting my fists out i put a jelly bean in one in one hand and and then i like toss it between them and then i put my fists out and you choose one and i reveal and there's no jelly bean and then i open my other hand and there's no jelly bean because i got rid of the jelly bean in the middle of the whole process like haha there was no winning you idiot you could never you know what i mean it's just like fuck you dude like that's what it feels like when it comes to 
when it comes to like these sorts of plot twists. If you don't give me the information I could have used in order to figure it out beforehand, it just feels insanely cheap and shitty. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I also think that like the kind of in- implicit mystery, which is like, why is this all happening? Right. Like, um, you know, I, I thought like kind of like the idea of, you know, the the seventh cavalry having latched onto a con, like onto a, a conspiracy theory that was you know in some ways true right like you know mm-hmm. the government did or it wasn't the government but you know Adrian did you know plant the squids right like they they're not real like I thought that had an interesting like potentially interesting story behind it right like you you could do something interesting with that um, mm-hmm. and I thought some of it was interesting but like the fact that the whole plot was like and we're going to kidnap Doc heretofore unseen dr manhattan and steal his powers is like it was just like what (laughs) like really like it's like so so cartoon it's so mundane it's just so easy i like and easy is the wrong word but it's just like i don't know it just it's so easy and straightforward and then the, the worst part about it though um is that like when they reveal that as the as like the plan of the seventh cavalry um it's like okay well at least we have like the mysterious shit going on with lady true and then she comes up and she's like my plan is to steal dr manhattan's powers and i'm like oh my god you guys (laughs) like you couldn't think of anything better than this yeah 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 no i uh, i also like intensely frustrating (laughs) like I also felt like they didn't give like the grand cons- the the grand cyclops conspiracy enough room to breathe, right? Like, like, like the fact that Clifford was in on it from the beginning was like like should have been such like a gut punch, but it felt like it went by way too fast for it to like really. I'm sorry, hit. who's Clifford? Uh, is that the, the sheriff? Um, maybe oh, I got Crawford. The- yeah, Crawford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, but like Crawford to like. You know, the like, like there's like a lot of like you know they 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 find the 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 clan hood right like, and like they go they like they 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 wiggle back they're like you know like this is a plant right like they go back and forth about it and like maybe they can do something interesting with that but it's like no he's just like a white supremacist it's like oh okay like as much as I hate to say it like that's just kind of boring right like I wanted something better out of that right like I wanted uh, yeah well so for one of the things that I found really interesting after that episode aired is that there was a lot of disagreement about what the clan robe meant because if you are a, if you're like a liberal person with liberal sensibilities you read that kind of in the way the show intends which is oh shit like judd crawford wasn't you know like i mean he's like nice and charismatic for the whole first episode or whatever but maybe he was like kind of secretly like a racist piece of shit or whatever but then you also had people who like don't you know like who don't believe that about like the clan or like confederate flags or whatever it's like oh you know like obviously i don't condone slavery but like you know these are my ancestors or whatever who were like oh like oh he's a complex character who has you you know like he he feels ashamed of his past and all of this sort of stuff um and so like because it's sort of piggybacking on the real world politics of which like the culture is not like solidified it muddied the whole reveal in general because it's kind of like well is he a bad guy or is he not like one group of people think he's a bad guy another group of think people think he's like complex like this is a, a symbol of sort of like complex 
and nuanced kind of like characterization and how is the show going to deal with that and the show comes down on yeah that was just he's a bad guy you guys but like I, I that think was i think it's I not know, helped like by the, the... Yeah, no I, I i absolutely agree with you i just yeah, I, yeah. I think it's not helped by the fact that like even angela wasn't quite willing to believe that he was uh that, that he was just a white supremacist right mm-hmm. like um i think like you know like if you know, obviously there are character reasons for her not to believe that. If she was just like, oh, I guess he was a racist and he was deceiving me this whole time, I think it would have been a little bit less. Like, the, I, I feel like the show wanted you to waver back and forth about, like, what was happening there, right? Like, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think the show also, like, made him too likable in the beginning, right? Like, like, it, like, all of his turns toward evil are like, are like done with like basically him off screen, right? Like he, he it's it, like, it's never explicitly said like what he like, what evils he visited upon people, right? Like just that he was like part of this vast conspiracy. Yeah, and I mean like there is some. Once, I, right? So I rewatched like the whole series before the the ninth episode just to give myself like that context. Um, and one of the things that I noticed was kind of like the sly digs towards him like i remember the stuff about cocaine or whatever um because it's like kind of like uh touched on or whatever but like there's the part where they're eating dinner and angela and cal skip out on oklahoma um and he says it's it was like oh it was so great and then his wife is like then why did you tell me it was awful like in the car or whatever so there's like little pieces of it uh, but I, but I, in generally agree. I do, uh, I do agree with you that he's sort of like a little too likable and charismatic for like his own good. Um, yeah. I also think that like some of that get like some like just thinking about it, right? Like the authorization to 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 fire, right? Like all guns unlocked. I think was like supposed to be a push in that direction, but like that gets muddied with the kind of like and the police state really isn't a good idea, guys. Type of message that I think they were also, going. Yeah. So I mean, the other piece of it is it's like. How does this how does this how does this work? Um, Because the okay, so the conspiracy of the cavalry is that they're like putting this shit together so that they can shoot Doctor Manhattan into a cage that nullifies his powers, and he is then going to then and then they're going to transfer his powers to to Senator Keene. Okay, why then? Does the seventh cavalry member shoot the cop in the very first episode? It's like the inciting incident, and it's like if Judd Crawford has control of the cops and Keen has control of the seventh cavalry, why do they start this whole thing in the first place? Right? Like, and if that doesn't happen, don't you just avoid this whole thing from blowing up at all? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, so, the, so part of part of this is that they don't realize it's Doctor Manhattan until the White Knight. Right, like, like they are planning on fomenting a race war so that so that Senator King can win the presidency and do this kind of like in a semi-legitimate way, right? Like, he's going to assume power by, you know, being a, a hometown hero in this, like, you know, bringing peace to uh, to the streets of Tulsa, right? Um, so that's like that's like a manufactured conflict, right? Like, this is almost like shadows of of episode one, right? Like it's Palpatine. Right, right. But, but here's the thing. They may, they figure out he's Dr. Manhattan three years prior, right? Right. The, the murder that happens at the beginning of the first episode, like, is it just random violence? I guess that's the answer. It's just random violence. Right. Um, 
because yeah. that that happens and it sets off the whole plot right angela never talks to lady true and never makes that connection she never learns that john is in danger right like all of these pieces of the plot that kind of like unravel i guess are just like undone by this like one act of i i, I don't even know what senseless violence <laughs> senseless violence that is that is nothing I don't know. It just feels really unsatisfying. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going to be maximally charitable, like, it's because, like, he never intended, like, it, the, the violence wasn't supposed to have him, then he accidentally revealed his Rorschach max and had to do something. So, like, I guess that's the best way to put it. I mean, this this just all ties together in things that I don't like about the series too, right? Like, Angela's clearly our hero, but she's also, like, the unjust agent of this, like, terrible police state that, like, is half responsible for the for the whole plot in the first place. Um, and, like, she never really gets a reckoning for it, and I guess she, they could do it later, but, like, you know... I'm I'm not you know like I I get like kind of like the the visceral desire to like see justice done where she like you know goes into a random trailer park and just hauls someone in but like that's like horrifying from like a due process level right like no yeah obviously right and and it's echoed all throughout the scene like even Lori shows up she's like oh like are you civil rights being like violated I don't give a shit like and I mean I guess maybe we're just supposed to like deal with the fact that this is a worse more dystopic version of our own reality or something like that and like let it go honestly i I think this all comes down to dr manhattan right like that is the nexus of all of this stuff because the conspiracy of the seventh cavalry and like angela fighting it and trying to like uncover what's going on and like what's happening is interesting and kind of like compelling enough but it kind of goes right out the window as soon as the dr manhattan stuff crops up in episode seven right angela's whole the back half in those last three episodes are just about her relationship with like cal essentially um and a little bit of her relationship with her grandfather but like i don't know those things are just not very connected to even the cyclops stuff is not very connected to to her in the end it's not like angela rallies the police and gets red scare and pirate jenny or whatever to like band together and they're gonna all fight the 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 seventh cavalry and then they're gonna shoot a guy but oh no it's it's looking glass and he's actually also been secretly impersonating the seventh cavalry and helps them out in a bind or whatever like you know like that that was easily an ending that this could have like gone towards but they sort of veered away from that direction which is what six episodes had been spending their time setting up, right? Um, And did this whole thing with Dr. Manhattan as, like, the the climate. So it just just comes completely out of left field. Um, And I get that, you know, like, he's a fascinating character, and I'm really, like, interested in sort of what's going on uh, inside of his brain or whatever, but I just, I don't know, I feel like they blew it a little bit too early. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I do want like, to. And there are so many. This and this is the other thing that kills me about it. I would get it if this was in a world where all of the characters show up, right? Like everybody is on screen in one, you know, like in one way or another. But there's such a clear lack of Night Owl of Dan Dryberg because he's in prison. Um, 
that it's like why couldn't you just do that for dr manhattan and like let this be about the white supremacy that it's about i don't know yeah that's yeah, my yeah. note remove dr manhattan from the back end of this season and make it about angela versus the fucking seventh cavalry and it'd be much better and more, more i i absolutely agree right like because you, then by the way angela would get her comeuppance from the nostalgia thing or whatever and being taken in unjustly by like or well i mean justly in this instance right but by being taken in by lori right and now she has to convince lori or whatever right like that that's that just writes yeah, yeah. it writes itself so. <laughs> mango <laughs> no uh, uh, absolutely um one thing i did want to highlight is i thought that the music in the series was absolutely fucking on point like mm-hmm. Especially the uh, looking uh, looking glasses episode, like the way that they like played Careless Whisper in like four or five different ways, and like it just perfectly complemented the situation. I thought it was absolutely fucking phenomenal. Like that was that was like probably my highlight of the series. Like episode six was very good. I do want to say that, but like the the musical touches in in uh, I think it was episode five. I thought were just like so perfect um, that it really did a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, the references to the musical Oklahoma, where they, they played a couple, like, there's one moment in particular, I think it's, I think it might be in the last episode, either that or the second to last episode, where they play, um, uh, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Like, mm-hmm. I just thought, I thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought in general that the music in the series was, 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 was fucking phenomenal and, and kudos. Yeah, I also agree. I, I, though I do wonder, I, I feel like certain instances, uh, maybe I'm just like too stupid to get it. Like, I need some... Yeah, like, I need somebody on YouTube who's, like, a music person to, like, make a video essay explaining it to me. Um, because there's a bunch of stuff in here that I'm just like, what does this mean? Like, the Lacrimosa uh, from Mozart's Requiem is, like, all over the place. Um, but I'm just like, what is the – what's, like, the meaning underlying this? Uh, and then there's some other stuff, you know, in, the, like, the some other sort of, like, musical motifs uh, that I'm just, like, a little bit confused on. I like, you know, I like the music a lot, and I think uh, the lion's share of it was very, very good, um, especially in that episode. I agree with you a lot. In fact, there's that very, um, uh, the very first song. Do you know, uh, it's called Things Can Only Get Better. It's like a, it's like a, it's not George Michael, but it's like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's an upbeat 80s pop song. And so the juxtaposition of sort of that and the squid is like nuts to me. Because like it's it's I don't know it's just no no it's absolutely really, really well done yeah yeah um there was another moment too it was in, they're in Vietnam and it's uh uh living in America <laughs> um while that while they're playing like uh uh Angela's kind of like origin story right mm-hmm. with I I thought I it just it's just really fucking good right like just like too fucking good uh. And I thought, I, 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 like, you know, just, just, just very, very well done. Um, kind of like put some oomph back into this since there were things that were very well done. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's tough because, like, obviously the back half has been uh, the. Like, the back half of the show kind of falls apart, and that's what you go home with, right? It's like the steak was great, but the dessert was awful, sort of thing. Um,. And that sort of, like, yeah. sucks. Especially because, also, by the way, the acting in the show was amazing. Like, Tim Blake oh, Nelson yeah. as Looking Glass was so good. 
Jeremy uh, Irons was, was like, fantastic. Holy fuck. Yeah, Jeremy Irons killed it. Basically, everybody killed it. Yeah. The crazy thing is that Regina King... So, did you ever watch the Boondocks, the Adult Swim show? Uh, I have watched parts of it, but I haven't. Okay. Or I've watched, like, so, the main episodes. two characters, Huey and Riley, she's the voice actress of those characters. Oh, really? And, like... Yeah, and it's, I've watched I've watched that show, and um, and there's like a lot of you know like fucks in that show, and just the way that she says fuck is so evocative of the show for some reason. And this is an HBO show, so she's saying it like all the fucking time. So yeah, I don't know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I absolutely get it. Like, I do um, sort of wish. Uh, I sort of wish there was, like, more to talk... Like, what else is there to talk about? I feel like the squid works here uh, because, like I said before, it has the time to, obviously. Um, whereas it wouldn't work in the movie because you can't really do that, like, structurally. Um, uh, do we do we have predictions for next season? Oh, God. Maybe. Oh, Christ. I see... Okay, so... Oh, boy. I mean, so, okay, does Angela get the stupid fucking powers or whatever? Um, so, so do you want, you want my full-on prediction? Yeah, what's uh, your full-on prediction? Um, Lady True isn't dead, right? Like, she's going to come back and she's going to be, like, wearing a glove for most of the season. And she's going to take it off dramatically at some point or something. Uh-huh. Um, I think Angela is going – we're going to open and Angela's going to fall in the pool and, like, yell motherfucker in a moment of comic relief. Um, okay. But she's going to slowly gain her powers over the course of the season – uh, you know what? That's that sounds so correct. That you've, uh, boy, yeah, that sounds really correct. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, she's gonna grow into a hero. And what's gonna? Ha- there's gonna like, uh, oh, Adrian. Uh, this is something I, I saw on the Reddit that I think is also very likely. Adrian's going to go to jail and like share a cell with Dan Dryberg. Oh, I see. Okay, see, I 100% think that 100% think that's going to happen, and I think Dan Driver's going to be a fucking baller. He's going to be played by like some one of those like you know like older like a Sylvester Stallone sort of type. Yeah, and he's just going to be like, I've spent 25 years in prison and I'm a fucking badass now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and. What else is gonna happen? Uh, so I think they're gonna they're gonna spend time in they're spend the time together in prison, and uh, there's going to be a here uh, a yet unseen uh, super villain at some point because you have to in order for like this show to have like anything interesting happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, th- that like probably from Russia maybe. Like so, they can kickstart the whole like Cold War thing again, or maybe someplace else. That's not really in the sh- theming of the show. Uh, I don't know. So somewhere else there's going to be a, a supervillain. Those are those are kind of the broad strokes. You, you have hey, any... by the way, uh, do you remember Lube Man? So I keep seeing this reference, but I'm not sure. Okay, so it's the guy that like Angela. Oh, that guy! Yes, and yes. He runs away and he lubes himself up and slips into the sewer drain. I forgot that was totally dropped. Like, what the fuck was that about? So, okay, so to be clear, it has not been dropped um, because they, in the 
promotion or not the promotional in the supplemental material like the, uh, in the same way that there was the back matter stuff in uh in the watchman comics um they also have been like releasing these docs or whatever and it turns out that it's Petey. it's it's laurie's like sick oh, i know who Petey is yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he's it, it was it was probably him um, because he gets fired from the FBI and they find a bunch of canola oil uh, at, in his office or at his desk. Or, or like, Wait, or why does whatever. he get fired? Uh, because I guess he's a superhero because he's Lube Man. Oh, so they figured that out and that's why he gets fired? Yeah, so so anyway, so apparently the mystery is just that it is him. But it was also such a what-the-fuck moment in the show. It's just like... What the fuck? I mean, Angela says at the very end. She fails to catch him, and then she just goes, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it's like that is how I feel about Luke Man. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> I, so, talking about what the fuck moments. What did you think of uh, <laughs> the giant Doctor Manhattan dildo <laughs> that Lori pulls out of her fucking case? Her fucking Marcellus Wallace briefcase holds a throbbing blue penis. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that one I was like, I get it, you know, because he's Dr. Manhattan. He's got to have, like, the best dick ever, right? He's got to have literally the perfect dick. It's also, perfect you congrats on – what's his name? Yaha ya, – like, I can't remember. The, he's the guy that played uh, fucking uh, – Dr. Manhattan. Black Manta actor. All right, let's do this. His name is – uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen, he just loved showing his dick, and he's you should be proud. Good job, you have a big old dingus, dude. <laughs> like very in keeping with Doctor Manhattan, <laughs> even though the paint was like awful, uh, it looked very bad. You, you had big a big dingus. dick, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about? So people have talked a little bit about like the white face, black face aspect of dr manhattan by making the dr manhattan actor a black guy but he's like a jewish white guy or whatever do you have any feelings about that i mean i think it works in the context of the story right like i don't know i don't like i don't care enough to get angry about it right to be honest like yeah so like i i feel that exact same way because i was reading a tweet thread where Someone, so there, I was reading a tweet thread where somebody was like getting really pissed off about this, and essentially by saying blackface is bad, and that this is blackface because, but like the mechanics of having to explain what is going on are so complicated and convoluted, right? This is a black actor playing a white Jewish man who becomes a super being that later becomes a black man that is identical to the black actor, but he is then called by his white name. It's like so complicated that I'm just like, uh, I, I, I can't, yeah. I can't care. Like, I mean, like if I wanted to like make a criticism of it, it's like, why, why does Cal act like, you know, like a, a basically a black coated person when like there's nothing about him that should like give him that light like is is dr manhattan becoming black and then pretending to be a like pretending to be a black man racist because he's actually a white jewish man right like uh, like this is tortured but like yeah I, it really is <laughs> 
Well, like, I, 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 get, like, I guess I could buy it, right? Like, because it's just stupid. It's just, it, I, I can't, I can't care, right? Like, there are more than enough problems with this series that I don't need to focus <laughs> on, like, the color of Dr. Manhattan's oh, skin. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's real. Also, can I just, like, point out that there's a weird congruousness to the end of Game of Thrones and the end of Watchmen in that they both kind of come down in this way that's like power belongs in the people who don't want it, right? Like the two people who are seeking out Dr. Manhattan's powers in Lady True and in uh, Senator King are both villains who are heavily like kind of rebuffed uh, by the show. Whereas... Uh, Dr. Manhattan kind of gets away, like, unscathed. He is actually a better person by virtue of being, you know, like, a loving human, which I would argue is not... Very counter to his character. Yeah, which is counter to his character or whatever. But, like, he is a good guy because he's essentially the person that engineers all of this stuff in the first place with, you know, in in the... in the conversation that Angela has with her grandfather about, like, oh, this was his idea the whole time. Um... It's like it's like that makes it's that it's it's like okay it's good that Doctor Manhattan that John Osterman was a omnipotent being because he was a good guy and it's bad that Lady True and Senator Keene were did not become omnipotent beings not because of the nature of om, omnipotence but because of the nature of their personality and their megalomania yeah you know no. I mean? No, that's like that. That's actually absolutely like, the problem I was identifying with Angela, right? Because she's like the fulfillment of that, right? Like, you can be an omnipotent being if you're good and you do good things with it, and like, there's no problem with having that. That won't do anything to you, right? Like, it's it's like which runs counter to the comic, which is again the thing that I disliked most about the series. I don't know, like, ugh, it's it's frustrating. I also have like a couple of minor nitpicks along those same kind of lines, right? Like, I think that. Dr. Manhattan, like, Adrian Veidt should never outsmart Dr. Manhattan. He should only outwit him. And I know that that's, like, a weird thing to say, but, like, mm-hmm. like it just rubbed me wrong when, like, you know, when Dr. Manhattan's like, I want to be human, and Veidt's like, like, it's, like, if Veidt had kind of, like, sprung it on him or something, I like, the fact that, he didn't know that Vite had this device makes sense. And the fact that like Vite had it as a plan makes sense. But the fact that John, like if John thought about solving that problem, he should be able to solve it. Like that's my impression of like Dr. Manhattan's intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way Vite gets one up on him in the comic is like, John just hasn't considered certain possibilities yet. Right. Cause he like still like operates like a normal person in a lot of ways. Right. Like, it never occurred to him to make himself human, so he never didn't figure out a solution. The fact that, like, he kind of has to go to Vite to, like, figure it out, like, rubs me the wrong way, right? Like, like it, it, it's it, it, it just not quite right. And it's, it's, again, that's very minor. It's just kind of like, this, it's not really, that's not, it's like, this compounds with kind of like the, the bigger ways in where he's not like Dr. Manhattan that, that it bothered me type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, honestly, I, the thing I want to know now is 
what like like imagine a person who really likes the show i want to hear like those arguments in a way yeah because um, so far i've seen a lot of praise for it but nobody ever really like explaining what the praise is uh like are there people who think like maybe there's like i don't know maybe there's like another version that i'm not sort of like seeing uh and could like come around on because it just feels so like wrong but like also maybe it's like an uncritical thing like you and i obviously like we reread the comic we watched the movie like right before all this stuff so like all the dr manhattan stuff is very fresh in our head and this is gonna sound a little condescending but it almost sort of feels like the if you are someone who read the comic in like high school and you're like a 30 something whatever now it's like just real enough that you can be like, oh, yeah, like, I remember Dr. Manhattan sees time in a weird way. Oh, that's so neat. But, like, you don't actually think about, like, the deeper implications of the character or whatever. And in that way, like, the sort of vapid, hollow nature of the show is kind of a boon. Because it appeals to sort of the vapid, hollow readings that, like, persist in your minds 12 years after you've read the original comic. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I also think there's an aspect to this. is like, if you like kind of like the watchman but not like the theming of it this show is like the watchman without like the the theming that you don't like right like and like that's that's you know again that sounds kind of condescending but like if you wanted a if you wanted a traditional story with the characters of the watchman you get pretty close with this right like and not like again i think alan moore would be very upset about this right i hope he never watches it but um I don't think that's necessarily invalid, I guess, right? Like, I yeah, don't know. I guess, I guess I agree. Well, there you have it. It's uh, the weird, weird world of the Watchmen TV show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, well. Anyway, what's going on? How's, tell, how's your life? Tell me about your week. Uh, my week. What did I do this week besides watch The Watchmen? I played some Destiny, and I played The Law of Clash again. Uh, there was a second one, the second couple of them this weekend. Uh, I had a much worse experience with these, uh, mostly because we lost. Like, I think every single one of the matches that we played, we lost. Um, oh, wow. Why? Why? Did something happen? Um, well, the first game, there was weird connection, or, or mid had connection problems, but like, uh-huh. uh, we just kind of like didn't perform super well, and you know, the kind of like tilting type of stuff happens and i just i at some point i stopped having fun um so you know and that's like not i don't i'm not trying to put any of my teammates on blast right i just i just wasn't into it anymore every teammate who's listening to this podcast mango thinks you fucking suck no no i'm kidding uh uh yeah i I get that i feel like that's fair yeah i mean i've been thinking a lot about uh about the, I'm very glad that I didn't do Clash because I feel like um, there's a certain amount of sort of like practice that is like required that that like I don't know it just feels like too maybe this is like ladder anxiety or something right but it's just like it feels too like official to be something to like that you just opt into casually because like you have a team to to sort of support if that makes sense yeah and um, I, I I did enjoy kind of the more intense aspects of it but like I feel like like so you know like these teammates are not like. They're, like, what, it's one person that I know well, and, like, every, like, one person I know kind of, tan- like, kind of, sort of, and then, like, two other people that are just, like, friends of friends, and that wasn't, like, oh, I guess, I guess the, the third, the final day we had, we had uh, a friend of the cast, Zhao, 
um, and social media promoter of the cast out. But like, he, like, you know, I would have enjoyed it much more if it was just like kind of five of us without kind of the, the, uh, the, the, the essentially kind of like, you know, been willing to accept the fact this might not go well. Right. Like there's a lot of intensity, a lot of people that like, I get wanting to do well and I don't want to like, you know, say that like, you know, it, it can just be whatever, but I would have enjoyed it more if there was an understanding that, like, you know, maybe we won't do so well and that's fine. Whereas, like, people seem to be really kind of, like, hung up on, like, doing super well on this and, you know, I think that made things less fun, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because uh, – so there's this mode called Brawliseum in Hearthstone, uh, which is a tournament mode where you have to pay to get in, right? Like you pay two bucks, but like your first entry is free. It's kind of like Arena where you face off against guys, and if you lose three times, you're out, but you want to get to like, like the 12. Um, and that seems – that's like similar to Clash in a certain sense because like you want to play for real, for serious, right? You're playing like the best decks and everything like that. Uh, but like – but it's just you. So there's no, there's no, there's nobody let down if you fuck up, right? Like if I go zero and three in Brawliseum, there's nobody to blame but myself, and that's like a weirdly comforting sort of thought because like in a in a version of Clash where like I'm not practiced and so I'm just feeding every game, I would just feel really shitty because I'd be letting down my team, and um, mm-hmm. and that's like an aspect of Clash that is like simultaneously fun. Right, like part of what makes Clash fun is like the team-based nature of it. It's not just like it's not like solo queue where you're kind of sort of expected to so like like you are you are expected to perform individualistically rather than kind of like collectively. In solo queue, it's all so much less about like the team working together, um, and that's neat, but it's also like tough. Uh, yeah. It also seems like the 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 quality of players is just like very high in Clash because even like low tiers aren't like sending you up against bronzies. They're sending you up against like plats and golds. And I guess you know we have like plats and golds in our friend group or whatever. But I don't know. It is, there's like maybe that maybe that's it. There's just this mountain of difference between the high level you know and low level players, so to speak. Yeah, I, that was definitely especially true for our group, right? Because, like, the other people we were playing with were, like, like uh, high plat, low diamond, I think, for most of them. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it, you know, it's 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 also one of those things where, like, you know, pe- pe- like people want you to play on point as much as possible. You know, that's that's fair. But, like, there's also, a, at least for me, like a, like a – I was streaming – and one of the guys who wasn't playing, like, who we had six people on Sunday. So, like, one of the guys stepped back, very much appreciated for that. Um, but he was, like, watching over my shoulder, essentially, since I was the one streaming. And he's giving me advice, and I appreciate it. But at some point, it feels like I'm also, like, just kind of, like, being the puppet for somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. When it kind of, like, veers a little bit too far in that in that direction. Um, and, again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm ungrateful or I'm putting this guy on blast. Because th- he was just doing what he thought was, like... Uh, the most helpful he could be, and I, I, I truly appreciate that. But it just, it, it's not super fun to play, especially when it's a result in a win. So, you know, that's uh, that that was that was the biggest thing in my week. Otherwise, it's the new season of Destiny, and uh, it's been fun. Um, but you know, it's just more Destiny, more shooting, more guns, more uh, more more grind to grind. What about you? What yeah, you... I mean, so the two things that happened over the course of the last week, uh, three things. Uh, the first one is that the new Hearthstone expansion has come out. 
and the ludicrously overpowered uh, cards have created a ludicrously overpowered Shaman deck that is getting the fastest balance change in Hearthstone history. Two days after the expansion launched, it had a 62% win rate on HS Replay. But the kicker is, and that's not that's actually not unheard of. There have definitely been like decks that have very high win rates. Uh, but the kicker is that its bets matchup was itself. And and if you think about that, right, like the it's the best matchup into Galakron Shaman was Galakron Shaman, right? But because every matchup of Galakron Shaman versus Galakron Shaman has one winner and one loser, the the head-to-head matchup of win rate of Galakron Shaman versus Galakron Shaman is always 50%, by definition, right? So the fact that it was the highest win rate deck against Galakron Shaman meant that every other deck had a sub-50% win rate going up against Shaman, um, other decks in the metagame ended up also just like losing out in this storm of just absolutely broken Galakrond shamanness, uh, such that all but three classes had negative win rates, uh, that sub 50% win rates for the first couple of days into the expansion. We don't know what those nerfs are going to look like yet, but it's just been like a colossal fuck up. In terms of balance. Um, so, that's fun. Uh, I do have to say that the new decks are actually, like, a lot of fun to play. I mean, but part of part of what has attracted me to Hearthstone is Hearthstone is a game that makes you, like, feel powerful. Um, just because of... They kind of prioritize sort of that, like, that power in, in certain sorts of ways. Rather than, like, strict adhesion to balance. And so, like... It may not happen every time, but when you can get, like, a good run with your deck, you just feel on top of the world. And that just, like, feels fucking amazing. It's, like, super great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to see, uh, I'm really excited to see what those, uh, the Galakron Shaman nerfs end up looking like, because, woof. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that, that sounds... So, so how, what, what exactly is the mechanic that makes it so dominant? Okay, so this is how Galakrond works. Galakrond is a hero card, right? And, and all the hero cards bring with them a new hero power. Um, and it's, all, it's always seven mana, and there's five different Galakrons for five of the classes. Then there are cards that have the mechanic Invoke, right? And it's a battle cry. So it'll say, battle cry, invoke Galakrond. Invoking Galakrond is like triggering Galakrond's hero power. So, for instance, in the case of Shaman, the Galakrond hero power is sub, excuse me, summon a 2-1 elemental with rush, right? So, a minion on the board that can immediately attack other minions but can't attack face. Now, all of the Galakrons also have, the, the, the Galakrond hero power also has a battle cry. And that battle cry gets upgraded the number of times you invoke. If you invoke twice, it upgrades once. If you invoke two more times for a total of four times, it upgrades to its highest power level. The base, va- the base version of Galakrond the Tempest says battle cry summon two, two, two storms with rush. The second version is two... 4-4 four, four Storms with Rush. The final version is two 8-8 eight, eight Storms with Rush, and you equip a 5-2 weapon, right? Which is basically an Arcanite Reaper. It's like a 6-mana cost card. And 
all of the Galakrons have very powerful invokes because, like, you know, you have to kind of run the whole invoke package in order to sort of, like, get there. Um, but the thing about the Shaman invoke cards is that they are just the baseline most powerful of them. Uh, the, the different invoke cards, there are two neutral ones. One is a four mana 2-2 two, two that invokes Galakrond and has Rush, so it can just, like, immediately attack. It's honestly not a very good card, right? Um, a lot of the time it gets cut, uh, but... Uh, some of the time, you know, it doesn't because you want to keep it around. Then there is Shield of Galakrond, which is a five mana, four, five with Taunt that invokes Galakrond. Pretty, pretty good, right? Not amazing, not terrible, but they're neutral cards. You know, neutral cards are inherently weaker than class cards. Fair enough. The Shaman invoke cards. One is a one mana freeze an enemy that invokes Galakrond. So it's basically summoning a one mana, two, 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 a one mana, two, one with rush that freezes an opponent. That's insanely powerful. Uh, and then, and this is the really bad one. There's a five mana, three, three that invokes Galakrond twice. Invoking Galakrond twice puts a total of seven, five on the board for two of which of that is rushing and you can split it up. But the thing is, is that by invoking Galakrond twice on the Corrupt Ele Elementalist, you automatically get the upgrade on your Galakrond the Tempest. And there's no other class in the game that does like a double invoke, right? That, that invokes twice back to back. Um, and part of the and part of the thing with that is that like, whereas in another class, you might actually have a tough time completing all four of those invokes. Well, as long as you draw one corrupt elementalist, you immediately are halfway there, right? If you draw two, you're full the full way there. And the final piece of this puzzle, which is just the most ludicrous, you know, worst piece of it uh, entirely, is that there is for, for every class, there is like a Galakrond lover card that basically says, do a thing. If you have invoked twice, the thing is much more powerful, right? So, for instance, in Warrior, it is summon a 3-2 dragon with Rush, but if you've invoked twice, you summon two copies of it. Well, that's crazy, right? That's super huge. In Priest, it's if you've invoked twice, you reduce the mana cost of all the cards in your hand. Well, in Shaman, the card is a five-mana spell called Dragon's Pack. It summons two 2-3 two, Spirit Wolves with Taunt normal right like that's that's dude, summoning four six of taunt with five mana okay if you've invoked twice you give them plus three plus three so you're summoning two five sixes with taunt and the nature of corrupt elementalist being like steadying out your invoke consistency so well means that basically every dragon's pack will always get you 10 12 in stats and that's just like incredibly hard uh for for certain decks to to get through the last piece of this puzzle that makes galakrond war or galakrond shaman so insane is that all of the invokes are battle cries right um and including right like galakrond the tempest summoning the two big fat 8 8 16 16 worth of stats on turn seven if you've been keeping up with your like consistent opening and there's the card shutterwalk which we've talked about before that has a battle cry that repeats all other battle cries you've done this game and when you do that you just you get a 5-2 weapon you get a bunch of like little rushing dudes that run around and it's just like insane and it's crazy uh, and so Galakron Shaman is housing people. That that sounds uh, that sounds oppressive. It is uh, honestly oppressive. Uh, I would wonder if uh, I like honestly am just like 
gall I, how on earth did they not catch this you know what i mean like it just seems incredible yeah i mean yeah that's i i it's it seems like the type of thing that like this happens every once in a while and like all of these games, like a, a powerful combination of tap, like this happened in Magic, right? Like they nerfed Oko because he yeah, was just yeah, too yeah. good. They just, don't, they just don't see it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, so the core Galakrond Shaman package is twenty-one cards. It's the core of the deck, and people have been trying other different packages on top of it, like oh, the quest package to get more value out of your battle cries, or you know, you're gonna do the wacky package to do whatever. It turns out that the best package to pair with Galakrond Shaman is just card draw. Because the 21 cards in your deck are so good that you just want to get them faster. And so playing Novice Engineer to just two mana 1-1 one, one draw a card is so good in a deck where your 21 cards are insanely synergistic and, uh, and broken. We haven't seen details of what the, the nerfs are going to look like, but uh, here's hoping they hit them pretty, pretty, pretty fucking hard. Uh Outside of Shaman, the meta has actually been, like, really fun and interesting. There's a lot of really uh, good decks that have competitive matchups. Um, even decks that, like, didn't work in the past. And this is something that I like to do, you know what I mean? Like, you find you find an archetype, something that, like, you want to make a deck around, like, the quests or something like that. Um, and you make your – you give it your best possible shot – a lot of those sorts of decks are more fun to play now because with the full six-set combo of this year and last year's cards, you just have a lot of options to work with and you can make stuff that's, like, you know, pretty powerful. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it sounds... Uh, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. I hope I hope they fix the uh, the Galakon. How, how often do you see it up the ladder, right? Like, I know in, in, uh, in Magic... Um, Side note, I have divested myself of Hasbro, so I don't have to make this disclosure anymore. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, in Magic, right, like, a lot of the top-tier decks tend to very quickly ascend out of, like, the pleb rank. So, like, I'm usually, like, puttering around in, like, silver and gold, and I don't see a lot of, like, uh, there was a popular deck before there was, like, Nexus. So I didn't really see a lot of Oko when he, before he was banned. Um, uh, how, how is the Hearthstone ladder for that? That's a good question. Um... How is the Hearthstone ladder for that? There's pieces of it, uh, that, and, I, and I see it every once in a while. I don't play super often or super competitively, so I'm at the pretty low ranks. Like, I think I'm, like, rank 16 or something right now. Um, and uh, But, like, basically, once you get out of rank 20, you are playing against real decks in the meta. Um, a lot of the times, not real decks that are, like, piloted super well. You'll see people pilot decks that are, like, hard to... Like, for instance, there's a deck called Holy Wrath Paladin um, that is a combo deck that's really tough to get off because you only have a couple of board clears and you need to sort of balance between healing yourself, clearing the board, and, and turning through your deck to hit your combo pieces, right? And it's a really sort of, like, delicate thing. And most players will... There, there's, there's like, an impetus in Hearthstone to just kind of clear the board every turn and not to let stuff sit, but you just have to in some of the more, uh, like, intricate decks and, like, intricate matchups. And so a lot of the times you'll see good decks piloted by essentially bad people, uh, bad players. Right. Um, net deckers, like the, the quintessential net deckers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know. Yeah, uh, there was a while where uh, Gal- there was a while where Galakron Shaman was sort of, like, 
<laughs> so uh, so one of the tavern brawls that they did was you got a completely random deck, right? Absolutely 100% uh, generated off of like an algorithm or whatever. And when you played somebody, if you won, you kept your deck. And if you lost, you took your opponent's deck. So like it was sort of like a virus, right? Like if you lose to a deck, it spreads. And now you're playing that deck until you lose and you get a, you get like a new deck or whatever. Um, and that's exactly how Galakron Shaman felt for a while, where you're just playing stuff and then you play into Galakron Shaman and it just blows you out of the water and you're just like, how on earth was I ever going to be able to do anything? I guess I just need to play Galakron Shaman. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and so, yeah, so there's that. But there's also, you know, a lot of other variety uh, when it comes to the, the other decks that are sort of making... Uh, making the rounds i guess the one deck that i wish was stronger is quest warrior because that's like basically the tail half of the last expansion the deck i was having the most fun playing was quest warrior uh and it has it basically got nothing over the course of uh this expansion which just kind of sucks and is like not super fun i'm sorry that sounds that sounds painful yeah i mean you know it is what it is Obviously, uh, other like other decks like another one I've I've been playing a lot is Quest Mage, which is uh, like the quest for Quest Mage is cast ten spells and then your hero power changes to put a random mage spell in your hand and it costs two less, um, and so it's like an infinite value generator. But you have to like get these like spell slinging sort of combos off in the early game in order to sort of like make it out. And so that deck is also super fun, uh, and it got a lot of pieces that make it. Uh, basically by a bunch of dragon synergies it got a lot of pieces that make it more consistent and more fun to play so like you know you win some you lose some yeah makes a lot uh, of sense the other game that I've been playing because another pack of DLC released which was Total War the Total War Warhammer uh, 2 DLC which is Malice Darkblade versus his name is literally Malice Mango that was spelled M-A-L-U-S uh, and he has a demon inside of him. He's like the most edgelordy character of all yeah, well, time. A uh, uh, malice like that is like the opposite of like a, a bonus, right? Like that's that's so it's it is a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I guess that's true. Um, and uh, and uh, Deathmaster Snitch, who is the leader of the Clan Eshin, which is like the Assassins Clan. Uh, and it's just great. Total War is so amazing and super fun. Clan Eshin has been... I haven't played Malice's campaign yet, uh, but Clan Eshin has been a huge amount of fun because you... Uh, one of the things that they do is they get what are called schemes as, like, a resource, and you can spend your schemes to do things, right? Like, to, to like, attack an army or whatever. Um, and only, like, your assassins can, uh, can, like, carry out schemes. Um, and so something that you do when you're playing, uh, and the other, uh, and the last piece of it is that Clan Eshin has huge recruitment penalties to all of the other Skaven units, basically. So, like, all of the regular, like, the artillery or the whatever else that, like, makes Skaven strong, you have to pay huge giant premiums in order to get these, uh, in order to get these units. So you kind of can't do the thing that you would normally do in most Total War games where you sort of, like, build your death ball and, like, roam around with it because it's just like prohibitively expensive to like get there so you are very literally doing the the you're like sort of doing like the assassin fantasy of like you're spending all of this time like fucking with your opponent and like doing you know like doing tricksy agent shit 
so that your weaker army can like beat them and it's just so satisfying right like one of the one of the schemes that you can perform destroys buildings and so if you're going up against a uh, a settlement that has a strong garrison you can destroy the garrison to weaken it by a whole bunch and like you know get rid of a bunch of their units um and just like stuff like that just like feels incredibly satisfying in a total war game um because like you kind of can't ever really take those head-to-head fights because you'll just sort of lose because it's all it's so hard to have a really like strong army but like you can just like fuck with people over and over and over again until you win uh okay yeah no that, that sounds do you have any sounds... do you, are, are you ever gonna uh head back into total war do you think Maybe at some point, but not in the foreseeable future. Did you Too ever play Total War uh, Three Kingdoms? I did for an afternoon. I played for like six hours. I thought it was great, and then I uh, didn't go back to it. And I should have, but you know. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Too many lifestyle games. Yeah, I mean, you uh, know, this is one of the nice things. The Total War is is definitely. I mean, obviously, I've played twenty four hours in the last two weeks, so uh, there's that. But. Um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that I feel like I come back to and I play the DLC for a while and then I can drop it down and I'll come back to it in a couple of months sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, just kind of the, the other big thing that happened this week was uh, the Game Awards, right? Unless, did you have anything else you want oh to talk God, about? Oh, my God, I completely forgot about the Game Awards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, was the, what happened to the Game Awards? Uh, generally regarded as disappointing. Um, really? Really? Uh, so the big the big announcements were they announced the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation oh Five, oh um, uh, oh and uh, games that went along with that were uh, there's this game called Godfall being published by uh, Gearbox um, that looks neat. Um, it's probably going to be a hack and slash like first person melee game, um, mm-hmm. but we only saw a cinematic trailer, so who knows. Um, uh, Amazon's MMO, which is called New World, um, is coming out in May, and that looks interesting to me, but we'll see how it goes. It's a survivalish MMO from what people who were in the alpha had said. We also didn't get a lot of gameplay footage from that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this really excellent trailer for No More Heroes 3, um, mostly because it started out and it looked like this old 80s anime, and like it just goes off the rails because all, all the No More Heroes games are kind of nuts. Um... Those are my big takeaways from it. Um, in terms of like actual winners, uh, in in the biggest surprise to me, uh, Sekiro won Game of the Year, which uh, I didn't think it deserved, but you know, it is what it is. Did you uh, play Sekiro? I did. I did, did not you, think. Uh, it... Oh, okay. Well, I was going to ask, what do you think of it? And I oh, I thought it was good. Games. I just didn't think it was Game of the Year, right? Oh, like, okay, fair enough. It feels to me like it was given to them because, like, the Dark Souls games never won them um, in their years. Um, the last the last one being, like, Dark Souls 3 lost to Overwatch. Um, and a lot of people feel like that was, like, a bad call there, and I think I'd agree with that. Um, mm. But, like, this was up Boy, against... That's... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Th- this, this was up against Death Stranding... And Smash Ultimate and Resident Evil 2. Um, uh, and uh, there were uh, Outer Wilds and Control. And I would have put Sekiro solid, solidly in the middle of that pack at least, if not towards the bottom half. Um, but, you know, uh, it's it's a 
weird game award show. So, you know, who, who knows? I, I've said this before, but I think that um, I have a lot of respect for Jeff Keighley, the man who was willing to make himself a buffoon in front of the world in order to make the game, like the game awards, like a real thing. It's still not like the most legitimate thing, but you know what? It gets more legitimate every year. I mean, it's um, better than the Spike version, the VGAs. Yeah, from, but like uh, that's that's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like yeah. Jeff Keighley started it on Spike and like you know sold Doritos and Mountain Dew to make this real, and you know it's to his credit, it's becoming more and more real every year. Um, so you know, there's that. The oh, the the big kind of weird thing was that do you know who announced Game of the Year? Who? Uh, a one Vin Diesel, um, who was like wait, a surprise wait, wait. guest. What? This this is the thing. This is the thing that like drives me fucking insane about like, you know, about like the stuff. And I get that there aren't the same sort of like gaming celebrities that there are for like movie or like TV or whatever. So like, sure, you have to kind of like borrow. But it's like when Samuel L. Jackson kept hosting like the VGAs. It's just like, what on earth is someone who has like nothing to do? with video games doing at this award you know what i mean it's like it's like if dale earnhardt jr like announced best picture at the oscars it just it's wild to me but okay all right uh, to, why, why was their, vin diesel noteworthy to to its credit they were announcing a, a fast and furious oh game <laughs> it looks absolutely terrible like graphics uh, wise right okay, like it's a racing yeah. game so i don't know enough about that to like care but uh-huh. um I thought it looked terrible, but like it's the big noteworthy thing is like first is it the um, Michelle Rodriguez I think her name is the female lead came mm-hmm. out and like introduced introduced Vin Diesel and they talked for a little while but like Vin Diesel like looks at her and starts talking and says like I just saw the Fast Nine trailer it's great and then like they don't show it or anything they just like show the trailer for this game and then like he announces like the the game of the year. Um, uh, uh, candidates and and it's there's a big leading right for game of the year they had like a big orchestral thing which i thought was fucking fantastic but like just kind of just like why are you talking about fast nine this is like fuck you vin diesel right like um there were some good moments though right like they had reggie present an award which i thought was amazing given that he's not technically involved in video games anymore um they had uh one of the the guy like one of the guys behind westworld announced uh uh I think they had the Jonathan Muppets. Jonathan Nolan? Uh, Christopher I Nolan's think brother? Maybe. Um, some, some, I think it was Westworld. Maybe it wasn't Westworld. Maybe it was a different show. Um, it was one of those shows that was really good in the first season that are, that people are mixed on the later seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, and then uh, they had the Muppets give, it, give out an award. Which was like, like the bit was really good. Like it was Beaker and uh, and Peabody, and like Beaker was in Untitled Goose Game for a segment. It was really, really, really good. Um, but clever. the but the award the award they gave out was like um, the award for like social good or something. And it just like was very kind of like disparate with like the seriousness of that award because like the people. I think the 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 game that won it was like letters from something or other. But apparently like. They got a lot of letters about, like, how much this helped a bunch of people. And so there's these people, like, up on stage talking about, like, how much this game meant to them and how much it meant to people and how, like, and, you know, like, like this really kind of heart-wrenching thing. And it's like, fucking Peabody and Beaker on stage being like, honk, honk, honk with a goose. Like, just, like, very kind of, like, the wrong place for it. But, you know, the bit was good. Um, You know, I thought, I thought, you know, like I said, Game Awards gets better every year. 
That's good. Hopefully one day, one day, it will be it will be like real and legitimate. I guess one day it will be as good as uh, the derpies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. God, the um, uh, I've uh, we haven't decided when we're going to do those yet, but uh, um, next week is definitely going to be fucking Star Wars. So mm-hmm. you know, people at home, you're probably going to watch Star Wars anyway if you're part of our audience. So go watch a Star Wars if you want to listen to next week's episode and be unspoiled. Or don't listen to our episode instead. Um, you know, just b- before we we actually get there, do you have any do you have any final impressions before we get to before we get to the Star War? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> I had a whole tweet. There. Did you read my tweet thread? Yeah, about this? yeah. yeah I, I wrote this whole tweet thread about just my like on like ongoing dread for like the rise of Skywalker. What it really boils down to is I just like don't trust J.J. Abrams, right? Like I just think he doesn't get Star Wars. Um, and uh, and I also am like incredibly fatigued by like the fandom and the discussion around like Star Wars. You know, like I loved the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi was my movie of the year for that year, um, and uh, and I think it's the best Star Wars movie that's ever been made. And I just like have this intense like uh, about ever watching it because like it just reminds me of like the you know like the shitty. Just like the the bullshit, right? Um, yep. I, mean, I long I, for the days when I can just sit and watch a Star Wars movie without thinking. I mean, it, it, the funny thing is, I could do this for the other ones. I do this with fucking the prequels. Reviled, hated among the community, right? But I'm like sitting there watching Revenge of the Sith, like, oh yeah, fucking, you kill those younglings. You know what I mean? Like, I have a great time. I don't know why I can't replicate that for the Last Jedi, but I think at the end of the day, it's just this like, ah, dread. I think if they, um. I mean, I, we, we we went over this, right? Like, I mean, I obviously have much less opinion of the Last Jedi than you do, mm-hmm. than you do, but we both like admitted that, that like, like you at least admitted that there were some 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 deep flaws with the movie. Oh right? yeah, absolutely like, right. The Last Jedi succeeds because of its heights, uh, not because it is flawless. Yeah. <sighs> well. Yeah. Look forward to that next week. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we uh, before we close this out? Uh, Occupier Games has announced its upcoming upcoming 2020 slate. It's three titles, uh, one of which is a legacy title. We're taking over the publishing of Relic Hunter Zero, which is a 2D looter shooter uh, by a team in Brazil that we've worked with a bunch, and they're great. Uh, the second game is a precision platformer called Spinch, which has art by this guy named Jesse Jacobs, who's like a really underground comics artist uh, from Canada. It's very like psychedelic and rainbows, uh, but the platformer itself is just like insanely hard. I was trying to take screenshots uh, for the Steam page. And it took me two hours to beat the first level, wherein I was like, guys, I don't think I can beat this, like, this entire game just at all. I can't, I can't even pretend to. But I'm sure fans of, uh, like, tough, complex platforming will uh, really get into it. I have to say it's a very fair game. You know, it's, it's, it's the, listen, Mango, it's the Dark Souls of platforming. Um, and then the final title that we've announced is Gone Viral, which is an action roguelike uh, where you get buffs and power-ups that do, you know, like at, at, over the course of the, <clears throat> like over the course of your run, there's 10 levels. The the core premise is that you are performing in a game show where you are just trying to cause as much bloodthirsty mayhem as you possibly can. So there's a lot of like rewards for doing like, crazy kills or like you know shooting a guy into another guy and that guy gets knocked into a trap and they both die or something like that 
Um, and uh, and the interesting thing about it is that there's a lot of Twitch integration where viewers can interact with the game world, uh, the developers can interact with the game world and stuff. So uh, that is currently in closed beta, and you can get it access if you go to GoneViralTheGame.com. Uh, and yeah, those are my big announcements. That's the big. That's the big three. Do, do we do we have release dates on any of these? I mean, the one's no, already no. out, right? Uh, yeah, so Relic Hunters is already out. We are just taking it. So, yeah, Rogue Snail is publishing the sequel, Relic Hunters Legend. Um, and so we're taking over the the legacy title, Relic Hunters Zero. We're still adding new, you know, like adding new content to the game and doing development. Relic Hunters Legend is not out yet, and it's not going to be out for a while. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of them. It's, it's us helping out... Uh, our good, our good buddies at Rogue Snail. And then, of course, um, <clears throat> we don't have release dates for Spinch or uh, or Gone Viral as of yet because, you know, they're uh, they're definitely presentable, but they're not in um, – uh, they're not in a place where we're like, yep, we're going to we're gonna announce here and it's going to come out Q1 2020 or something like that. Like, de- de- definitely not. I will announce release dates when they are available. All right, excellent. I'm looking forward to it, especially especially Spinch. That's like that kind of thing's my jam. Um, oh yeah, are you gonna yeah? go nuts for that? Yeah, okay, uh, probably. Um, but if it's you want to like email, super meat boy like. Yeah, I mean, I like I really like those super hard platformers. Uh, um, but anyway, sorry. Uh, if you want to email us, tell us what you think about uh, the Watchmen TV show or any other things you talk about on this podcast, you can reach subdurbsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdurbsplaygames.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash subdurbsplaygames. You can uh, donate to us on Patreon. You can rate and review us anywhere that podcasts are. Um, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, you just did your promotion. I assume you don't have anything else? I have nothing else. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.